0: Welcome back to another episode of Bitcoin Q&A, day two, questions four through six. Somehow, both McShane and I are up bright and early. The sun is rising. Thank you for joining us wherever you are watching around the world. Uh, My name is Q. This handsome gentleman to my left is none other than McShane. What do we got in store for you? Well, You got two bozos here who are going to try to talk to you about drive chains. We're going to get into an age old question of how many wallets do you have or something to that effect. And of course, we're going to talk Bitcoin and taxes, but in a very interesting loophole kind of way. And then, of course, today's questions are none other. Oh, wait, those were the questions. Ha! The news stories that we're about to dive into include Elon Musk, include the recent stuff around Grayscale. Wait,
1: that's not right. The news stories we're getting into today are BlackRock's investment in publicly listed Bitcoin companies, um, Yes, the government's Oman. new crypto tax rules, and yes, Oman. A lot of money. Okay,
0: cool. Let's dive into BlackRock. So from public listings and public reports, after releasing their earnings reports, it's been uncovered that BlackRock has a significant invest- investment in four out of the top five publicly traded mining companies. So the companies that BlackRock owns a stake in are Riot, Marathon, Cypher, TerraWolf. Hut8 is the only top five mining company that BlackRock does not own a piece of. It is worth noting that BlackRock is the number two shareholder. That's for actually... All four uh,
1: I don't think that's right, Q. I think they do own a um, Hut8. Right? Do they? Do I mean, this is from reading the wrong thing. Oh, okay. Oh, I see. Of the five, that is the one they don't own. My bad. Yeah. So they're, no, yeah, Riot, good. Mara, Cypher, and Terra Wolf. They're so the there's second... one more thing I want to touch on on, the, on this story before I hand it to you. The thing that's interesting
0: and worth noting so they own about a little more than 6% each of Riot and Marathon. The combined market cap of these two companies is around $4 billion, depending on the day and the price. That is about the same amount of money that BlackRock probably loses on a daily basis. Like That's such a small, insignificant, that is less than a percent of total assets under management. So really think about that when we start to have these conversations around, oh, BlackRock, and then this article that we're we're talking about that is on CryptoSlate, you know, they do a really good job also of pointing out. Actually, no, this wasn't. This was a different article I read. Never mind, not the CryptoSlate yeah, article. You gotta eat primary
1: um, sources, my man.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I just I read this like from like six different sources, but they I guess have um they also own shares of like other ETFs and funds and stuff. So like they own van some shares of a Vanguard fund. Well, guess what? That Vanguard fund also owns shares of Riot. So they have even greater exposure than what it already looks like. I think this is interesting as a confirmation from BlackRock. But on the other hand, I do think it's something to be wary of and be cautious of because if BlackRock wanted, they could buy out Riot and Marathon through the public markets very quickly and and very easily.
1: Yeah, I think... I mean, you got to look at this is an investment of $411.5 Uh BlackRock has $117.6 billion, uh, assets under management. So that's 0.35% investment into uh, Bitcoin miners by them. I mean, that could generate huge uh, returns for sure. But it's not like a big move by BlackRock, really, by any means. That's kind of just dipping the big toe in. Um, tiny, tiny allocation and then other exposure to Bitcoin in other ways as, as well, at least to uh, some of the price action. I think particularly this will get interesting post-halving. Um, you see mining stocks do some really crazy things. I mean, some, their ability to service their debt uh, gets cut in half, obviously, uh, with the block subsidy getting cut in half. So, you know, some of these I think some of these mining companies that we've come to know and love have overextended themselves. They've tried to diversify into AI. They've made a lot of frantic plays in this last year that are going to just make them go out of business. I mean, I I don't think they're all going to be around, you know, uh, for the next cycle, but the ones that do make it, I mean, you're going to see giant price appreciations, um, especially on the uh, options market. We've already seen that a little bit this year. Anytime Bitcoin gets a little excited, these things go nuts. I mean, Marathon, I believe, has already tripled, if not more this year, at least once. Riot, too. Um, Yeah, so they have, like you pointed out, Q, they have over 6% of Riot, Marathon. They have nearly 1% of Cypher and over 2% of TerraWolf. Um, To put that in perspective a little bit, Marathon is the second biggest publicly traded company that holds. No, the second biggest holder of Bitcoin from a publicly traded company behind MicroStrategy, of course. So, you know, Marathon has about, I think, 11,500 Bitcoin now. They, You know, they they sell it to service their debt uh, now and then uh to put that in perspective marathon has 152,000 uh sorry microstrategy microstrategy's last purchase of bitcoin actually hilariously was more than marathon previously owned by like one bitcoin so they <laughs> looked at marathon's bitcoin holdings and bought one more than them and that was just in a single buy so they're they're leaps and bounds ahead of of marathon um uh Riot is a little bit further down the list. They have about half, uh, a little more than half, like 60% the Bitcoin of marathon. They're they're ticking up to to about 7,000. So I don't know, that's the interesting play to me is just how much Bitcoin than these uh companies hold on to. And I think it's actually a great time if you're looking it's not a diversification, it's just riskier and like worse exposure to Bitcoin, but if you have like a high risk appetite, um Mining options can be a good play, potentially like really long dated ones. We're talking six to 18 months post having when you're expecting and at least historically, you know, the Bitcoin price is appreciated uh, many fold and still have these top miners with large amounts of Bitcoin on their balance sheet. So I guess that's my two cents on this. I think uh, this is not a huge, huge news out of BlackRock, but I do think they will accumulate in other ways, um, you know. And I think, uh, I think Larry Fink is coming for all of our Bitcoin. And when I say that, I mean, eventually they're going to pull a micro strategy style. Let's just hold this. Let's just custody this. Let's get this on the balance sheet. And they're just going to buy up large swaths of Bitcoin. And when that run happens, I mean, I like to think back to what Adam Back said at, at B23, which was that we're probably nearing the end most amount of people who will ever own a single bitcoin and that's because if everyone goes to buy this thing all at once the price will push that goal out of uh you know it won't be possible like the price will just keep pushing it'll it'll run away um it'll of course crash back down you know how the the cycles sort of work but eventually like when these institutions roll in and they're not playing these weird day tradey leveraged games well many of them are but you know one of the best investors in the world and um, acquirers of of kind of real estate and everything else, BlackRock is is probably going to get in it if they decide to for the long haul and hold it. And I think those Bitcoin will just be off the table. So when we say Larry Fink's coming for Bitcoin, that's what I mean. But wh- what do you think, Hugh? What, what does this mean for the future of BlackRock?
2: I have to be really honest with you, out. I changed mm-hmm. something in my settings, and you sound Kermit the Frog just on Restream. Though it's not a YouTube issue, like you sound perfect on YouTube. So really? I just need you to know that right now that you sound like to me, and I'm doing my best to be professional about it. Um, but as Miss Piggy just asked me, I think there's there's an aspect of this that, like one of the comments I saw on. Uh, Twitter, his response to today's episode was, oh, what was shoot, I just had it pulled up. One one moment, please. And they're welcome to it when the bid is high enough. Um, like, I think we're not... <laughs> All right, so it's my voice that's just fucked. Got it. Okay. I will be louder, Tino. Um, I think there's like this almost acceptance that BlackRock is going to come into space. And personally thing that i continue to point to is this is not something to take uh to take lightly we need to essentially we need to have and like our head on a swivel that's what i'm going to say sorry it's 7 a.m where i am so bear with me for a second while i get used to waking up this early with you guys um look we are like cheering every single time someone says the word bitcoin talking about adopting without thinking of the second and third order effects as i mentioned when i first started this conversation look if blackrock wanted they could buy just completely buy riot marathon and then all the other miners too because all the other miners aren't even over a billion dollars in market cap so this would not be very difficult for blackrock to just get their hands all over and what happens if they get hands all over it sure we've seen the block size where we see how the individual node runners can become the most important part of the network as it was meant to be designed but let's not kid ourselves like bitcoin too many people in this space are looking at Bitcoin as like this is my get rich quick like system, and oh, I'm gonna get richer if BlackRock comes into the space and starts bidding up Bitcoin. But that feeds the purpose of what it was meant to be as a tool for individuals to be able to transact money freely and save it in the in an attempt to break free of the sort of fiat tyranny that we've lived under for centuries now genuinely centuries if not millennia so while i appreciate what effect blackrock can end up having I caution anyone who celebrates this as and i just give you a simple warning of be careful what you wish for
1: yeah i think we can point back to um some of the etf narratives that have been circulating recirculating with this grayscale win over the sec i mean i think it's pretty clear that by uh, somewhere or other, Gary Gensler is benefiting or incentivized to uh, delay these decisions. And, you know, the root of all evil, like it's these, (laughs) it's probably BlackRock behind going to give him a nice paycheck for the rest of his life until they have their ducks in a row ready to launch, um, you know, the first spot ETF that's going to get approved. And once there's one, I mean, is there really a, a need for for many more? So they'll they'll benefit handsomely from being the first to market. Um, I don't know. What do you what do you think about that? Q. Am I off there? Is that a fair assessment? No, I, I
2: think I think what will inevitably happen. Personally, I think the first market on ETF will be a non-story, simply because I think so many products will be offered at or around the same time. We have about six different applications that have to be reviewed and the SEC has to get judgment on tomorrow. And a lot of the expectation off of earlier this week was, how is the SEC going to delay these six given what just happened with Grayscale? So I've been in the camp that has sort of been on the side of and etf gets approved it will be a sweeping motion and a lot of companies all at once will have their approval to go to market i think especially given the way the sec has been losing their court cases like i don't think ripple is silly i think everyone who tries to push it forward is on the scam but the sec did lose their court case versus ripple they lost their court case versus Grayscale. They have less and less ground to stand on. So ultimately, if the SEC were to turn out and, oh, BlackRock's ETF is approved, but you know what? Arc and Valkyrie and Grayscale, no, your ETF's not approved. It's too. He won't. I don't think
1: they can it. legally do that. Those other. What'll happen is those other companies will just refile um, to copy whatever BlackRock did. It, right. It won't take I, a day or two.
2: I I would go a step further and say, like Gary, maybe six months ago, could have gotten away with doing something like, something like that to give BlackRock a one day head start. But given the climb around the SEC today, right now, I don't think he could get away with that without looking shady. And I think, yeah. unfortunately, or fortunately, I don't know. That, I, I have a question. Honestly. They're on their back, I mean, I
1: they're on their back feet for sure. You know? Absolutely.
2: So, the, like, honestly, I don't mind going a little off-topic and, and asking this. If you're open to a quick side, side sure. Plus. Sure. Um, yeah. let's add this as one of our overall questions list, please. Um, I'll just ask you and have a discussion over. Like, is Gary Gensler a good thing for Bitcoin? Like, let's keep in mind he's been one of the only people in public office who literally has said that Bitcoin is a commodity. And I've I've long said, like, dude, all we need is someone fire Gary Gensler, and then we have nobody at the SEC who understands Bitcoin or sees Bitcoin in that lens. Um, but like, is Gary Gensler a net good or net bad Bitcoin and
1: Bitcoin adoption? Um well, that is a difficult question. I mean I'm not really into like making these value judgments of people and you know to what degree they're good or bad Bitcoiners. I don't think it's very productive. Um no, judge them. Yeah, but I think
2: office, we can judge them.
1: Yeah, fair enough. I mean, I don't vote, but I think uh Gary... I didn't vote for you either. I'm okay. disappointed. Oh, was he? I don't know. Um Yeah, the guy has an interesting Bitcoin history. I mean, he used to teach cryptocurrency and Bitcoin, kind of blockchain at MIT specifically. He's done a lot behind the scenes to kind of support um, students and their projects at MIT into this kind of research and furthering education before he was appointed to the SEC. But he's also done a lot of like really shady shit that, you know, we kind of talk about (laughs) on loop endlessly. the thing I like about him is that he understands the difference. And this is where Bitcoin maximalism becomes a little bit inherently status. It's like, okay, I'm cheering for this guy who's holding public office because he's, you know, making, giving a hard time to the people I don't like, which by, I don't know, like transitively boosts Bitcoin because uh, you know, it gives us, protection in some ways because we're we're a commodity and not a security i think it's really weird that eth was granted that same sort of protection i mean i'm sure there's some kind of money trail there there that explains why because it's like should be blatantly obvious to everyone that it's a total totally centralized kind of It's it's a far cry from even a second place to Bitcoin in terms of uh, distribution. So I don't don't agree with that decision. I don't know, man. I think if you're holding public office and, you know, doing shady stuff like this, you're a net negative to society. But at the same time, like I said, Bitcoin maximalism is a little bit inherently status where it's like you can't help but cheer, you know, when he brings a case against Richard Hart. (laughs) you know, when he goes against the, uh, what's his pulse chain? Hex? Hex. When he goes against Hex, I mean, I'm, I can't wait for Richard Hart to go to prison. I can't wait.
2: I mean, so, I will, it's not even like I'm gonna take that. I actually, am having a hard time agreeing with that more and more. Mm. And it's, it's more to do with, like, in a lot of time over the last six months, just like reading about history specifically, like, well, I say specifically political history, but what I've come to realize is all history is just about politics because those are the only people who wrote about what they were doing for the most part. There's some business history, but overall, state history is seen through the lens of politics. My concern, genuine concern, is, okay... Gary Gensler goes after Hex Richard Hart. He goes after Metallica and ETH. He goes after whoever your heart desires and go after too. Gary Gensler is not the head of the SEC forever. And he creates a playbook by doing this. And we are literally at a point where all needs to happen is the next chair of the SEC to come out and say, actually, no, I don't think Bitcoin is a commodity. Bitcoin's a security that I get to over he and guess what? All of these things that the last share did, I'm gonna now do. I'm gonna go after exchanges that only Bitcoin because of some weird reason, or I'm gonna go after Bitcoin miners, or I'm gonna go after people who are holding. Yeah, I mean, it's Bitcoin.
1: a it's a spray and play desperation desperation play just to hold up new processes. And totally. Yeah, they may well go after Bitcoin at some point, but what are they gonna do? I already have my Bitcoin. I'm not i'm not worried about it um we should probably uh we should probably address more questions but yeah, yeah. i hear what you're saying it could make a difficult road for like on ramps and off ramps in the future it could make it hell you know you get something like a new york bit license and just it makes it impossible to businesses yeah. and have technical innovation at home so
2: we got really in the weeds on that one but let, let's uh let's let's hammer two more news stories real quick um Unless you just
1: want to go straight to the questions. Yeah. Uh, no, dig into it. Let's hit the news stories so, quick.
2: So first one is just really quickly. U.S. government is proposing new crypto tax rules. So quick facts on this. Crypto brokers would need to collect and file information on their customers to the IRS, i.e. all of the exchanges that you're buying crypto or Bitcoin from. Uh, crypto brokers would include a trading platform, centralized and decentralized crypto payment processors, and certain crypto wallets. Brokers would need to report information on customers' tax positions via a new 1099 form that details gains and losses. Investors would then use the form to report taxes. The rules were going to affect in 2026 for the 2025 tax year. And surprise, surprise, it was proposed by the Department of Treasury and IRS um interesting
1: at first i thought wait don't we already do this and then i saw the the kind of nuance there is the wallets and the uh decentralized trading platform (laughs) so this is probably a little bit downstream they got some ideas from uh you know going after the ethereum mixers right and the developers yeah. i mean this is just an attack on free speech this is an attack on open source software development i can see them coming after the creators of Bisc. i mean they'll probably find themselves in jail at some time um yeah this is terrible I, I hope yeah this get passed uh, like, I, I wa- go, ahead. go ahead sorry Real, please. i was just gonna say even if it does get passed thankfully it's at least post having and they'll be battling with a bull market you know which presumably i don't know the future but greatest bull market we've ever known, you know? I mean, that's going to have uh, just more resistance. It's going to make things harder for them. They're going to piss off more of retail and, you know, get themselves removed from public office. So,
2: And I hope I triggered you by saying crypto. I intentionally said crypto because I want to, you know, highlight the fact that this law isn't meant to go after Bitcoin specifically. It's, it's meant to go after crypto decentralized exchanges and crypto wallets literally all the government all the IRS needs to do is use that word to Bitcoin and then come after us and honestly eyes of the government they view us all as one and the same So
1: yeah this doesn't this doesn't exclude Bitcoin at all this is there no, totally thinking of Bitcoin
2: I um, it's just a reminder that we need not like look, I, I can't stand Dick Hart. I can't stand the hexkins. Like, feel free, come attack us in the frick comments. I dare you to. Literally, I could kill less what you have to say. But I won't celebrate them getting torn down. Okay, maybe Dick Hart. I'll. Anyone else, though, I won't celebrate getting torn down because uh, I believe in karma. So let's go to the last news story, unless you want to comment.
1: I mean, the last thing I'd say is I would just uh, make sure you diversify your options. Yeah, this is a few years out, but like this is coming. I mean, Bitcoin by calling itself money shows the path of most resistance. And um, you need to diversify the software you're using. You need to make sure you have a good uh, mix of open source software options in there and wallets. Um, You know, they're all going to get attacked in one way or another. And you want to make sure you have some that are... Centralized maybe, I mean, they're efficient to use, but decentralized and definitely offshore and outside of the United States and operating in a way that, you know, you can just access via Tor or something. Um, keep it safe, mix it up. And also keep searching for access to non-KYC years. I like to call it ethical Bitcoin, you know, as Teco, RoboSats, BISC, buy from miners, mine at home. Um, government has no business you know, knowing how much money you have, where you got it, what you do with it. Uh, it's your right. So use uh, use KYC free Bitcoin, I guess would be my plug. We will definitely get into all the nuances of that
2: in a future episode. If you're not subscribed, please, please, please. I see zero people watching, but if you're watching this later, please make sure you hit the subscribe button. Leave a comment with questions you want us to answer. We have one more news story, then we're going to dive into today's episode's questions But the last news story is Oman, the country of Oman, which I had to explain to Alex right next to Saudi Arabia and southeast of Qatar, uh, announced they are officially backing Exahertz, an Omani Bitcoin mining company, to expand their operations uh, with a $1.1 billion investment. But the big story here is not just the fact that Oman is now running a a uh, sovereign mining operation, but the fact that they have called Bitcoin compliant with Sharia law. Um, sh- quick shout out, Marty Pent, TFTC, for for cluing me onto this. Uh, look, as someone who hails from a Muslim country, i heard all of the horrors about debt and the way debt is viewed in Islamic and Sharia law. But to have at least a country come out and adamantly claims about Bitcoin, you have to be kidding yourself if you don't think every other Muslim country, Islamic country around the world is paying attention to what Mon said. Because for the most part, there are two two buckets of Islamic countries. There is the oil-rich countries that... The West has found themselves very, very entrenched with Oman being one of them. Saudi Arabia, another. Qatar is even another one. There are others that are just sort of exist. We may deal with them in some trade, like uh, Bangladesh, for example. Or others that we just absolutely can't stand. out, Like my homeland, Iran, or even countries like Afghanistan or Iraq. Um, and let's not even get to the weeds of Palestine and Syria and and that region of the Middle East. So the thing that this unlocks is it is a new starting point for questions to be asked for these countries. And we saw at the end of last week the announcement of the Brit where the UAE, Dubai, for those who are not aware, and Abu Dhabi, which is where Marathon just opened up a new mine operation in Abu Dhabi and UAE. Saudi Arabia, Iran, Egypt, Ethiopia, and Argentina have now joined the BRICS or will be officially joining the BRICS on January 1st. Look, a lot of Bitcoiners talked about, oh, their their currency, this joint currency will fail. Bitcoin will rise up. Well, guess what? You have Saudi Arabia, UAE, and Iran, and Egypt all joining a group just on the, as Oman is talking about how this is a new form of money that is compliant with Sharia law that we can trade with immediately without intermediaries stopping, preventing, sanctioning us. Hmm. Hmm. Fun fact, by the way, the BRICS... New BRICS cohort, including the six new entrants, accounts for over sixty percent of the total global oil trade and over fifty percent of the total global natural gas trade.
1: Just wanted to say that quick little fact. Great, great. I'm. Uh, I don't know. Amon personally saw so it. I can't comment on what he or she has or hasn't done. We can go to the questions bitch. if you want.
2: All right, let's uh <laughs> All right, you know what? Just just that you get the question of your dreams right now. Let's talk oh, drive chains. What is BIP 300? Why did you become a shit coiner? And more specifically, why is everyone so upset?
1: Um, why well, did it become a, a shit corner at all? I uh look, I've spent the last few days um looking into this a little bit. I've watched a couple, at least like two hours of Paul Sork uh explaining it, and it's a little bit confusing. But I think the gist of it is side chains like BIP 300 is a way for new kind of protocols and token types to be tried out on bitcoin without there actually being a token so you're actually beholden to the 21 million uh bitcoin cap um you know the proposal hasn't been tested outside of testnet but it's been up and running for years we've been told we should pay attention to it for years it's not clear to a lot of people despite that what it is or you know the technical nuances of it so th- Wait, what is that? My audio is going nuts right now. Sorry, Q. you. Um. Go. Okay. All right. Sorry. Uh. So, yeah. I mean, proposed by Paul Stork, we have something similar like Sidechain Liquid. That's kind of centralized. This would be a proposal that would take that centralization out of the Liquid network. I guess no one really uses Liquid. I think it's they do have this vaulting multi sig kind of setup. I believe. But at the end of the day, it's like, okay, well, some custodian could still kind of rug there, it seems to me. Um, So this proposal would actually, you know, you'd have to actually make a change and and fork Bitcoin. And the idea or what Paul kind of claims is that people would not have to pay attention to the side chains and drive chains. They don't affect their... um, they don't affect their day-to-day usage. It's it's like optional. You don't have to pay attention to it if you don't want to. If it were implemented, if you do want to use them, they're there. And his idea has always been that like kind of all these altcoins and shitcoins, like you hear this a lot, like their innovation is happening there. Like they have a greater, you know, greater developers and like more creativity and more innovation happening. We need to bring that home to Bitcoin. And this proposal, if we had had this proposal, if we implement a BIP300, he says that maybe we would never have to make another change to Bitcoin itself again, because all of the changes could be made on this kind of safe, secure, I mean, I can't verify that uh, sidechain that <laughs> operates very slowly. I mean, I think the gist of it is it's very easy for like benefactors to use. Like it's it's, it's beneficial for people who want to run sidechains to use, but it's very hard for att- attackers. Uh, To attack. So I think the idea is it takes three months for these things and these coins to be settled like you you kind of uh, offer up and acknowledge your side chain uh, on chain, it takes three months, I am actually not sure if that's calculated in blocks or months, that's a bit confusing to me, it would take three months of a sustained 51% attack for someone to steal all of the sidechain um, kind of tokens or value so it's very you know in six months if they only put up half the effort so that's that's what we're told anyway um to me there's kind of a lot to learn about this but i think the problem is that the people behind it haven't done a very good job of marketing it or convincing people why they would need it i mean i'm not really that concerned with bringing home all the innovation, like, look at all the innovation that happened on Ethereum. I mean, completely ruined, like there's no proof of work anymore. Um, you know, there's all these just random problems and, and innovations that are just complexity theater that make it kind of a useless chain. I mean, it costs more to move the, the tokens than their, their underlying value. Um, I don't want something like that to happen to Bitcoin granted. It wouldn't with drive chains but I also don't see why we would need to integrate something like that um you know to be fair i also didn't really see much of a need for taproot well that um, hey,
2: that was gonna be my next question to you is just do yeah. you feel like the public sentiment around bip 300 and drop chains in general is due to taproot and then what came as a result ordinals
1: Yeah, I think, hmm. I think so. I think there's a lot of fear. People are really pissed at, um, you know, inscriptions and the fee rates going up and, you know, we've ruined Bitcoin and blah, blah, blah. I mean, the fee rate was already a problem, to be fair, before inscriptions like this. uh, Fees could have gone up at any point. They have three. Um, This was this was already present in the protocol. I mean, I think the first thing to understand, like I'm obviously not a dev. So it is hard for people who are as non-technical as I am to verify what claims are being made about these technologies before they're adopted. Um, And as a result, I think most people who are not devs are a little bit hesitant, as they should be. I mean, Bitcoin's one of the most important open source developments ever. You know, it's changed a lot of lives out there they don't want to see that um kind of ruined and i think we should you know most eyeballs on this code base of any in the world probably um we don't want to change it or fuck it up like there's a real problem there where we implement something that has unforeseen consequences there are people that have uh, argued with me on this point but i just don't see how you can dev or no dev like you every action has a reaction and consequences and unforeseen consequences are just that these are bugs that you cannot even Paul admits that any change you make to Bitcoin has the potential of unforeseen bugs. So we should be very careful about the upgrades we want to make. I kind of understand the other side of where like, you know, we don't want no maintenance or upgrades to happen and run into this kind of Big company capture, you know, who's making the developments? Bitcoin gets hijacked by the government. You know, there's all these like weird potential scenarios that play out if we lose all of our developers and people stop paying attention um, to Bitcoin because they can't get anything through. But that in itself is not a reason to just like usher drive chains through. I think his counter argument is well, you could make all these. Um, potential upgrades on drive chains they would be optional you would never have to for a hard fork again i can't um refute the viability of that i thought he said something interesting though when i was kind of listening to him talk you know he said all coins are not weird rivals that are inherently evil instead they're just like this place where technology is tested out and previewed before we copied it to bitcoin that is not um true a lot of people would like it to be true and if Paul himself believes that, then why doesn't he test out BIP300 on Litecoin and show us how it can make Bitcoin more prosperous? Put some skin in the game, get it implemented on Litecoin and show us how it betters the network. Just like was done with SegWit. Uh, there's, 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 no other, there's no other path forward here because his strategy right now of kind of like arguing with, talking down to and just belittling people who don't agree with him. Is not compelling, like fearmongering. What could happen if we don't adopt something is not a compelling case to like take action, right? The like you pointed out earlier, people are incentivized in Bitcoin by uh, riches, <laughs> eternal riches, right? And uh, securing their wealth um, without with um, without trusted third parties. So I I don't know. It's it's complicated. I don't. Know. I'm not sure if I'm doing a good job of explaining it. But uh, it's not for me, I guess I would say. It's not, it's not interesting. It's not something that I need or would use. Um, and so why would I take the risk of implementing that into Bitcoin? Um, and I don't, you know, there's, there's also this whole complicated thing about how do we make changes to Bitcoin? Like, what is the culture of that? How should they be proposed? How should they be activated? don't know if you remember but uh Mm -hmm. you know i don't remember voting for taproot at all No, we
2: oh dude taproot (laughs) so it was like the most polarizing thing i had experienced once i was really paying attention to Mm -hmm. bitcoin twitter and the community like i wasn't around for the block size wars but in recent memory i don't i can't think anything else other than what then came ordinals and then now drive chains as I, I remember in the conversation with Rizzo of like the precedent here is that devs can push through changes that they think are best for the network even if it's a change that we may not necessarily be using this implementation for the foreseeable future um, I fully believe that Bitcoin is meant to be used by anyone in the world how they see fit. But I do think there's an important line that needs to be drawn where, sure, if if you want to inscribe a fart onto a SAT, go for it. But if it starts to impact my ability to run a node, that's where the problems arise. If we start to make the... So, I'm not gonna dox who I I want Alex to be on the screen with me while I talk this. I don't want to docs who I talk to at Buck Boom about this, but a very notable person in the space and I were talking, and his frustrations around ordinals was the fact that like he runs his own server, he run, in order to run his node, and his issue is well, dude, I have to go buy more space because I am running Taproot now. It's it's not feasible. If just in this window of time, Mm -hmm. the amount of storage space I need to run a node, imagine what happens over the course of the next 20 years. Like, a random individual would only be able to run a node that isn't running Taproot. And so, my question is all of those people who are talking, oh, the Taproot implementation, we can put book banned books in there, we can put, I know instructions to for 3d guns etc cetera, et cetera. well the really great ideas yeah unless not everyone can run taproot which case i'm sorry but that's just bullshit
1: well not everyone um, needs to run taproot that's the point right you can but, run backwards compatible like legacy versions of bitcoin um right but my, my the, point the, is the,
2: this the, whole the whole movement and the whole conversation around oh but taproot be able like you'll be able to do this or that like we could save these things in the blockchain cool but it's irrelevant if not everyone is going to then be able to run taproot because to run a node that sort of has that taproot you need a larger computer you need a larger disk size all of a sudden that that is the slippery slope that i see forming like
1: but that that problem already existed Uh, without inscriptions um fee rates are okay so if you want global adoption if that's really what you want that's what you're telling me we want everyone in the world to fucking use bitcoin and make transactions um okay well that's gonna drive fee rates through the roof like block space is scarce always has been (laughs) always will be so uh you have to find alternative um scaling solutions you know lightning i don't know may or may not be it uh It's quite nice, it's super convenient, it's super fast. Um, there are definitely problems. But like this increased demand for Bitcoin is always going to cause a spike in fee rates. That has nothing to do with inscriptions. That's just people uh using Bitcoin. Um, you know, I'm not pro inscriptions, but I'm not going to tell people how they can use Bitcoin and not like that's it's within nakamoto consensus i'm sorry and uh, sure. the fee rate the fee rate argument i just don't think it's it's already a problem like we haven't we haven't solved for it
0: um
1: dude, Bob just, had a very scary talk at a boom where he was like oh really
2: do there's only x number i'm forgetting the exact number right now but he was like there's only this many total transactions that can be done on the base layer and then he was like and we really think 8 billion people are going to be transacting bitcoin on the base layer
1: no, absolutely not. And so that's actually one of uh Paul's arguments for drive chains too. Like we need new ways to scale, and I kind of agree with him in the fact that like we need competition to Lightning. Like this is not to be all and end all. We cannot get religious about our new technology. We need to diversify. We need competition in the market. We need to push, you know, bad actors out, and we need to have alternatives. Freedom is all about choice. So I need more choices on the table. We need to build more things. Um, and break more things and try more things um and i just i i just don't see uh inscriptions as very important or interesting to be honest i the outrage is is a purely religious outrage by people who are kind of sad that the price is is down and they want to tell you how to use your bitcoin which is antithetical to the whole fucking system so i don't i don't uh, you know I don't get it. I mean, I don't use, inscri- I bought inscriptions when it first came out. I made some, I should say. And uh, I think I bought one or two for a friend. And I've never I've never sold them or touched them again. It's just, it's not, it's not interesting to me. I do see the kind of, you know, let's put files on there. Let's put 3D printed gun files on, whatever. Okay, but there's also people putting like child porn on there. So pros and cons. It's a neutral tool, like all technology. Bro, I didn't know
2: that. All um, right. We need to have yeah, like a, we need to have a larger conversation at the not you and I the Bitcoin community we need to have yeah. a larger conversation at the next conference what the actual fuck
1: but that's a tool I mean what are you gonna do you can't censor people it's an open source tool what are you gonna do all you can do is moderate your uh, kind of view of that protocol which is what you're getting you're getting a nice curated uh, censored, in some ways view, it's not censorship cause they can still do it. They can still upload or whatever they want. You know, maybe like revenge porn or something, but.
2: Hey, let's start talking about porn. So our YouTube channel. So we don't get a TV strike. To... <laughs> well, we don't have any,
1: we don't have any users, yet, uh, viewers yet. So uh, we'd be in the same spot. All right, let's, we we got 14 yeah. minutes to cover a lot of shit. So let's, let's move All on. All right,
2: so I, next what, wait, wait, wait,
1: uh, hold on. Let's put a bow on it. What was the drive chains, good or bad? I dunno, you decide. It's not compelling to me. It hasn't been compelling for like three or four years. I mean, I, I just keep being told I should want this thing. And that's not enough for me to want it. Like I need to see an actual, show me how it will make Bitcoin more prosperous. Um, show me, please launch on Litecoin and just show us, stop stop telling us and talking down to us, uh, you know, make an example that people can actually take action behind.
2: Fair, I like a bow. Uh I'm move to the next question do you create a new wallet every time you buy bitcoin broad answer this is no sorry uh this was yeah maybe posting on reddit
1: <laughs> i think the I think the question is funny in two ways because it has two assumptions that are kind of wrong like you can buy bitcoin without actually receiving any bitcoin you buy bitcoin on exchange you didn't create any wallet you didn't you might not have created any address you might just have kind of an account that's reflecting a balance you know so i think what they meant is uh, do you create a new wallet every time you receive bitcoin um
2: no this was literally the question of, like on edit of would you every time you buy bitcoin but keep going
1: yeah i mean you know what i mean like there's a there's a kind of a difference there it's like okay you have to like ask what is a wallet first a wallet an address, uh, is kind of within a wallet in the popular way that we think about it, but both are kind of like insufficient, um, explanations for what they do. So no, you do not create a new wallet. Like most wallets these days are hierarchical, uh, deterministic HD wallets. Um, bit one, nine, two, I probably totally, totally missed that. But, uh, The point is you have kind of an endless number of addresses that are generated um through your seed phrase which is kind of like the signing access to your wallet the confusing thing about wallets are it's like kind of not a complete term because you have wallets that also can't spend bitcoin that are perfectly valid wallets you have watch only wallets you have brain wallets you can store bitcoin indefinitely without the ability to actually spend some. And yet you retain uh, the ownership of that Bitcoin and the ability um, kind of to use it into the future. You can vault it, you can multi-sig it. So wallets are like extremely complicated. And I think the, the problem with uh, addresses, it's like this really pervasive misconception is that's not really what they are. Lightning actually did a better job of getting this right from the get-go. These are invoices. So you're only sending a, a receive address. You're invoicing someone or something for this Bitcoin that you will then receive. There's no from address in the protocol. It's deterministic. It's uh, heuristic. Like it's not. Uh, it doesn't work the way that we so often say it works. Like with a to address and a from address. Like that's that's not correct. That's just kind of the weird way our brains think about it. Um, So I guess short answer, do you create a new wallet every time you buy Bitcoin? No. And then what I think they meant, do you create a new wallet every time you receive Bitcoin? I hope not. God, you'd have so many seed phrases to manage and it would just become a nightmare. No, rather you probably have one or two or three or maybe, maybe multiple different kind of seed phrases. By the way, you can have multiple wallets that are all interacting just with one seed phrase. So you can have a watch only wallet over here, the backs to one seed phrase. You can have a signing wallet over here, backs to one seed phrase. You can have it in your brain. Um, Yeah, so it's a kind of a complicated, interesting question. And I can understand why that's super confusing for newcomers. Um, So I would think about it. The popular way to think about it is no, but you hopefully are using a new address every time you receive Bitcoin. If you double send to addresses, that gives you kind of a privacy vulnerability. And maybe it's easier to think about it like this: You should be sending a new invoice every time you want to receive Bitcoin. Um, I, I hope that was uh, thorough and not uh, confusing.
2: So, short answer is no. You also just not like. I'm just going to throw an arbitrary number, but like maybe like three out of every ten times you buy Bitcoin, you're like not even buying Bitcoin. You just the IOU slip. Um, we want to I'm talk really UTX. It, Yeah. Do you want to talk UTXO differences or save that for a different conversation? I,
1: it's it's like a whole different can of worms. Um All right. we, we just stay high on. level with this one. Yeah.
2: Let's move on to the final question. So this one also comes from Reddit. Shout out community at Reddit for potentially helping us bootstrap this show. If you have questions, whether you're on Twitter, whether you're on YouTube, whether you're on Rumble, drop them in the comments down below, leave us a comment, shoot us a DM, whatever. We'll answer your question.
1: Uh, oh, by the way, and- shout out to everyone watching on Zap.Stream and X. Yes, that's sure. yes. both and YouTube and Rumble.
2: <laughs> um, what was I gonna say? Oh, damn. All right, still too early in the morning for me. Um, All right, let's move on to the final question for today. What if I purchase Bitcoin, but I don't sell it and I give it away? Do I still need to pay taxes on it? Well, my friend, we have some good news. It's very good news for you. So, do you need to taxes on it? No, you do not. First off, it's a gift. You don't need to pay taxes this on it. This not, not financial so. advice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We are not. Okay. <laughs> yes. Caveat, all of this. I still live in my mother's basement, so you'd probably go and actually talk to an accountant. This is just accountants off of Reddit and uh by gbt bot and Google Bard bot cross referencing all the tax advice I got and even they would tell me like go talk to a tax professional so you should also talk to a tax professional but the short answer is no you don't need a tax on it nor does the recipient under the caveat that so long as you don't send more than $17,000 and so long as they have in, in a year in gifts um, and so long as the United States lifetime gift tax exemption has not been surpassed, which for 2023 is just shy of 13 million dollars. Uh, if either of these thresholds, so say McShane for my birthday gave me uh whole Bitcoin, what is it? I didn't look at the price this
1: morning, 27 really of one.
2: It. So I would owe on $10,000 worth of Bitcoin, a 40% tax on that amount, because it's above 17,000, right? I know. Um, So under the legal definitions, I'm gonna read uh, one of my favorite things about the current regulatory climate around Bitcoin specifically. Gifting crypto is a quote, non-recognition event for capital gains tax purposes. Meaning, there's no capital gains tax owed by the person making the gift, so the gift giver. Rather, the cost basis is inherited by the recipient, which will be used to calculate capital gains tax if they eventually sell the asset. I saw conflicting reports on that second line. So definitely talk to your tax advisor there there are, there was one argument that said, well, actually, it's the price you receive it at because your cost basis, so you would theoretically only pay gains from there. Uh, I saw others saying exactly this. Really want to emphasize, like, you should not be listening to a guy who lives in his mother's basement for tax advice at the same time. However, um, look, I there are legal loopholes that the government's designed that it's on us to, to use and find them as we see fit.
1: Um, I, I don't know the whole point of Bitcoin is it's permissionless so I'm not telling anyone to evade taxes but like it's really up to the individual how they want to use their fucking Bitcoin if they self custody it and you can't you can't force them to pay taxes on this stuff Um, I'm not advising you do that I'm just pointing out that if you know you're to flee the country and a magical gift of a bunch of Bitcoin happened to uh, show up at the doorstep of your destination country there's not really anything anyone can do about it um you can travel with it in your head you can travel with it um secured in like discrete um geological locations so i think all the taxes that the government's going to get off bitcoin is uh you know i don't know it's good for them but it's ultimately at the end of the day for those who self-custody it's user choice and gifting it is going to be really increasingly hard to track as we you know especially if you have a good stack of non-kyc bitcoin um
2: well i think i'm not promoting that at all
1: i'm just pointing out that the technology does not support the government's ability to kind of confiscate this um uh without like extreme coercion
2: so there's something they said that i think is really important which is and it goes back to this idea of like extreme coercion by the government to extract the information, and that's the KYC route. Yeah, I still sometimes will buy Bitcoin on Strike. If I were to go and sell it on Strike or on Cash App, because those are KYC or even Coinbase, wherever, um, those are businesses that report tax information based on the crypto law we talked about at the beginning of the episode like they would then have to disclose like hey q sold this or sold bitcoin received this much money off of his sales so i think that unfortunately- yeah this is why you
1: have to this is why you have to learn how to mix and self-custody and use non-kyc bitcoin because it's not anonymous that's uh, if you're brand new to bitcoin that's a myth that's not the case at all It's pseudonymous and it's not hard to deterministically prove who, you know, they're just going to use probabilities and it's actually going to be the reverse. It's going to be on you in court to prove that you are not fucking guilty and that you do not have access to or own that wallet. And that's impossible. You can't prove a negative in that way. So you got to be really careful, I guess, uh, just kind of bite the bullet, pay your taxes. Maybe the solution is don't give Bitcoin to people. Um, (laughs) Don't gift your Bitcoin. Uh, because they're probably gonna lose it anyway.
2: <laughs> oh. I guess uh I guess that that'll do it for today's episode, unless there's anything else your heart desires.
1: Um, I think that's it. Don't forget to like and subscribe. Big shout out to those on zap.stream. Thank you very much for your sats. Keep this thing running. Um we are yeah please like and subscribe on youtube you know rumble wherever you find us x.com and feel free to chime in questions and send them to us in the dms you can find me on noster twitter q Um, shout out to our producer tino and thanks for joining us